You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Once again, it's the Throwback League, and I'm your host, Josh Lewin. This is a 48-team tournament. We play a game each week for 48 weeks involving the 32 World Series champions from the mid-70s to the mid-2000s. We have an at-large field of 16 pennant winners. We simulate the games on the whatifsports.com algorithm. Great website, by the way. We invite you to check it out. Our website is live, so you can track the progress of the brackets. We've got the box scores in there for you, too. We are at the Throwback League. Com. We're getting close to being about halfway through our March Madness-style first-round bracket. I know we all miss brackets right now, let alone March Madness, but uh, so far we have seen a handful of upsets, and this one shapes up as one that could possibly happen, too. We've got a classic under-seeded 12-seed against a possibly overrated 5-seed. It is the battle for Ohio today. The 12-seed, 95 Indians at the 5-seed, the 1990 Reds. And I'm not trying to stir it up and get hate tweets from Reds fans. I'm just kind of putting it out there. The 95 Indians were loaded. Tommy, Bell, Manny Ramirez. The 1990 Reds got hot at the right time, upset the heavily favored A's at ball. They wrote a couple of great games out of Jose Rijo. So we shall see. And an interesting pitching matchup certainly awaits here. Rijo is on the mound for Lou Pinella's Red Legs. For Mike Hargrove's Indians, it's the righty Charles Nagy. John Miller is with us. He is our pregame analyst, and uh, he recalled the Reds winning in that 1990 World Series. Uh, the Oakland Athletics in 1990, uh, they had, were in their third straight World Series, and uh, it was a great ball club, and most everybody favored them to beat the Reds. But I always remember Joe Morgan telling me that he thought the Reds would beat the Athletics because they had real hard throwers, and most of the Oakland sluggers, McGuire, Canseco, or, uh, was Canseco still there? Or was he? Yeah, okay, 91 he got traded. Uh, most of the Oakland sluggers, McGuire, Canseco at the top of that list, did not like being crowded by real good live fastballs. Well, the Reds had the nasty boys in the bullpen who all threw hard and some uh, really hard-throwing uh, starters. Uh, and I think it was Jose Rijo was uh, really the star on that team, uh, the, the Juan Marichal uh, relative and protege. And, uh, and, and they... They kind of dispatched the A's and made it look easy. So uh, that was, I think, something that uh, kind of stunned the baseball world. But the guy I loved, and I've always loved him, Billy Hatcher, uh, uh, I think was the MVP of that World Series. The, the A's could not get him out. And uh, and Billy Hatcher was a guy who, who you would say was not a great big league star, but he was the star in that World Series. Uh, thanks to John. We'll hear from another one of the 1990 Reds World Series heroes, or catcher Joe Oliver, in just a bit. But first, let's get you up to speed on the road team, those 144 1995 Indians. And wait, only 144 games? What gives with that? Well, that was the year baseball started at the end of April because of the spillover from the strike of 94. Nothing was settled until early April of 95, so opening day 
was until April 27th. And after a 2-2 two two April starting in Texas, the rest of the way for that 95 Indians team, uh, wow. 19 and 7 in May, 20 and 8 in June, had an 18 and 9 July, 21 and 9 in August, 20 and 9 in September. So even when they started slowly, it was what was actually 3 and 3 in their first six games, they had scored 57 runs in those first six games to set a tone that we are going to bludgeon the hell out of you. 54 and 18 at home for Cleveland in 95. Jacobs Field called back then. Albert Bell was the scariest of many scary hitters. He was second in the voting for MVP, played in every game but one. More than 50 doubles, more than 50 homers in a season that was shortened by 18 games. Led the league in runs scored, runs batted in, doubles, home runs, total bases, slugging percentage. In front of him, Kenny Lofton. Behind him, 23-year-old Manny Ramirez, 24-year-old Jim Tomey. They were emerging as the best Righty-lefty one-two power punch in baseball. Tribe had a bona fide closer in Jose Mesa, who GM John Hart knew very well from their days in Baltimore together. Low ones ERA, 46 saves, second in Cy Young balloting for Mesa. Indians won the Central by an overwhelming 30 games over Kansas City. In the ALDS, they swept the Red Sox, and they beat the Mariners four games to two in the ALCS. Oral Hershiser, the series MVP. On to the World Series, it was the Indians and the Braves who had beaten the Rockies in the Division Series. They had swept these Reds in the NLCS. Braves had the National League Cy Young Award winner in Greg Maddox, who was 19-2 with a 1-6-3 ERA that year. He, along with Tom Glavin and Dave Justice, would end the Indians' dream of a championship in a tough six-game series. Game six, Glavin and Mark Wohlers pitched the one-hit shutout. Justice's sixth-inning home run, the only run of that game, off the lefty reliever Jim Poole. Around baseball in 95, we mentioned Maddox, the Cy Young Award winner in the NL. It was Randy Johnson in the AL. Hideo Nomo, Rookie of the Year in the NL. Marty Cordova of Minnesota in the American League. Don Baylor was the Manager of the Year for the upstart Rockies. Lou Pinella getting it done for Seattle that year, ironically, because Pinella obviously now managing the Reds in 1990. Barry Larkin, back to the Reds, MVP in 95, Mo Vaughn over in the AL. What else happened in 95? Well, uh, Phoenix and Tampa Bay were awarded expansion franchises. They would begin in 98. Michael Jackson says the heck with baseball. It goes back to the NBA. Coors Field opens in Denver and a Rockies extra inning slugfest win against the Mets. Eddie Murray banked his 3,000th career hit, did that at the Metrodome. The Hall of Fame ceremonies had a Philadelphia tint to them. Richie Ashburn and Mike Schmidt going in. Cal Ripken Jr. broke Lou Gehrig's consecutive games record, taking that mid-game victory lap around the field at Camden Yards. The Trammell and Whitaker era coming to an end in Detroit. And in early October, the one-game playoff, the Mariners beat the Angels 9-1. Seattle having finished tied atop the AL West. And then six days later, after being down 2-0 in the best of five to the Yankees, the Mariners completing that amazing comeback. Edgar Martinez, the double. The breaking ball stroked in the left field. Joey Cora, Ken Griffey Jr. coming in in the last of the 11th to win the game and the series before the Indians would kill their dreams. Pop culture in 1995, let's shift songs here. This is how we do it. And yes, this is how we do it, matter of fact. The movies to watch, Toy Story, Apollo 13, Jumanji, Braveheart. They may take away our lives, but they'll never take our freedom. 
Mr. Holland's opus was out then, too, but I, I don't remember a single quote from Mr. Holland's opus. I do know that that year the Java computer language was invented. The book The Horse Whisperer came out, and on October 3rd, the day after the Edgar Martinez devil in Seattle, O.J. acquitted of murder on both counts, and so much worked, uh, work stopped to pay attention to that verdict. It cost the U.S. an estimated $480 million lost in productivity that day. Sadly, this was also the year of the Oklahoma City bombings. It was the year George Reeve uh, was paralyzed after falling off his horse. But on a happier note, it's also the year we first heard the phrase, no soup for you, on Seinfeld. It's when Starbucks debuted Frappuccino. It's when ESPN aired the first ever X Games. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame opened in Cleveland. And it's when the George Foreman Grill came out, too. And Newsweek magazine published an, artic uh, an article that doubted the future of the internet kind of laughed at the idea that people would ever get their news or buy airline tickets online. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. So, uh, the lineup for the 1995 Indians, managed by Michael Dudley Hargrove. Leading off in center, Kenny Loft and Albert Bell follows in left. Manny Ramirez in right, Jim Tomey at third, Paul Sorrento, the first baseman, Carlos Baerga, the second baseman, then Tony Pena, the veteran catcher, Omar Vizquel, the slick fielding shortstop, and Charles Nagy is pitching batting number nine. Got a strong bench, Eddie Murray, Wayne Kirby, Herbert Perry, Sandy Alomar Jr. So now that we've set the table for the Indians, we should mention they've got to face Jose Rijo. You can't touch this. Yeah, and this was the hot song in 1990. You're right, MC Hammer. Rijo, especially in that 1990 postseason, all but untouchable. He pulverized the powerful Oaklands into a fine soot in the World Series. The native Dominican Rijo, two wins in that four-game sweep, including the two-hitter in Game 4. He was the World Series MVP. When Rijo had broken into the majors with the Yankees back in 84, he was 18 years old. He was the youngest player in either league. Did not have a good rookie season. And George Steinbrenner, well, maybe he had orchestrated that quick call-up trying to get some lightning in a bottle because the Mets had done that in 84 with Doc Gooden. But didn't happen with Rijo. Steinbrenner got annoyed, and the trade was made. Rijo sent away to the A's as part of a trade for Ricky Henderson. And with the A's, uh, we should mention, he was pretty good. Struck out 16 Mariners in April of 86. That was a club record. Struck out 14 his next game. But uh, largely in Oakland, kind of nondescript. He had 17 wins total in three seasons. So Rio was still considered enough of a prospect for the Reds to acquire him for the aging slugger Dave Parker, who had uh, 338 runs batted in over the previous three seasons. That's why that move was made. This 1990 season for Rio, 14-8, and 8, 2.7 ERA. That was pretty much his ERA every year, 88 through 93. Never higher than 284, never lower than 239. Fastball, slider, forkball, changeup, terrific competitor. Part of a Reds rotation that also includes Tom Browning, Jack Armstrong, Danny Jackson. But the Nasty Boys bullpen, that's the headline act. Randy Myers, Norm Charlton, the lefties, Rob Dibble, the righty. Cameos when needed from Rick Mailer and Scott Scudder and Tim Layana and guys like that. The 90 Reds would finish up 91-71. and 71. They beat the Pirates four games to two in the NLCS on the way to that shocking World Series sweep of the powerhouse A's. They had led the National League West wire to wire. They started 41-21, and 21, actually went just 50-50 and 50 the rest of the way. And the Reds, who traditionally start every major league season with the first pitch at home on opening day, they were actually forced to start on the road 
and the, the Reds played at Houston to open up, came back and, and finally got things going, and ran out 7-0 for the season. It all went very well. By the time the World Series was played, Marge Schott had, uh, well, she had done a bunch of foolish things in public. She was drunk at the time. She made a pretty major slip-up during the World Series. She dedicated the World Series to our women and men in the Far East. She meant the Middle East, but that's close enough. Game one of that World Series in 1990, Billy Hatcher helped out in a big way. Started a streak of seven straight hits in the series. He had walked in the first inning, then seven hits in a row. Riho settled in, cruised to a surprisingly easy Cincinnati win. And the next day, the headline of the Cincinnati Post said, David stuns Goliath. During game two, Tom Browning's pregnant wife, Debbie, went into labor during the game. She left her seat in the fifth inning, drove herself to the hospital. And as the game went on, the Reds wanted Browning ready to pitch just in case there was extra innings. And thinking that Browning might be en route to the hospital, the Reds had their radio broadcaster, Marty Brenneman, put out an APB on Browning. Game three, to uh, paraphrase Mr. Brenneman, belonged to the Reds in Oakland. Two Chris Sabo home runs helping out. And Riho just owned him in game four. Retired 20 straight at one point. Hal Morris' sack fly, the winning difference. And the Reds had their fifth World Series title. Elsewhere in baseball in 1990, well, July 10th, six American League pitchers combined for a two-hitter in the All-Star game. Julio Franco drove in both runs. He was the MVP, then of the Texas Rangers. Next day, the White Sox would take the field and run the first ever turn-back-the-clock promotion. Did that against the Brewers. They wore modified uniforms of the 1917 jerseys. That was the year of their most recent World Series at the time. That was to celebrate Comiskey's final season. Nolan Ryan, later that month, his 300th career win, got that against the same Milwaukee Brewers. End of August, you had the Ken Griffey Sr., Ken Griffey Jr. game for the Mariners against Kansas City. Joe Morgan and Jim Palmer into the Hall of Fame that summer. Ricky Henderson and Barry Bonds were your MVPs. Bob Welch and Doug Drabeck, your Cy Young winners. Your managers of the year, Jeff Torborg of the White Sox, Jim Leland of the Pirates. Off the field... And you are cordially invited by our good friends Technotronic to get your booty on the bus. Make my day. Uh, Home Alone and Dances with Wolves. We're playing at your local Lowe's movie theater, which thanks you for coming to Lowe's. And ask you that you kick back, relax, and enjoy the show. Madonna was on the radio, and every teenage girl was dressing like her. Us cool guys favored parachute pants like the aforementioned MC Hammer. Paula Abdul informed us that love takes time. Whitney Houston suggested she could possibly be your baby tonight. The Niners won the Super Bowl. The Pistons won the NBA title. The Edmonton Oilers were your Stanley Cup champions, beating Ray Bork and the Boston Bruins in five. As we meet the home team now, the 1990 Reds, Shotzi the St. Bernard safely off the field, leading off for manager Lou Pinella. It is Barry Larkin at short, Mariano Duncan at second, Eric Davis in center, and then the goggled Chris Sabo, Spuds McKenzie over there at third. Paul O'Neill is in right. Billy Hatcher in left. Todd Benzinger is the first baseman. Joe Oliver catching. Riho pitching and batting number nine. Riho, we mentioned, a 14-game winner this year. And the right-hander ready to face Kenny Lofton under sunny skies on the banks of the Ohio River. Riverfront Stadium, a circular cement baseball stadium just downhill from downtown. One feature that distinguishes it from the other cookie cutters are the lower level seats for baseball from home plate to the left field line. They're wheeled in and wheeled out to convert for football. You can see the AstroTurf panels covering those tracks out in left field. Here's the pitch. It is low for ball one. We are underway. 
And we'll check the defense for you. Hatcher in left, Davis in center, O'Neill in right. Sabo's at third, Larkin at short, Duncan at second, Benzinger is close to the line at first. Joe Oliver, as we mentioned, is the catcher. And he frames a strike here on the outside corner, one and one. Now the site Riverfront Stadium sat on originally included the Second Street Tenement, the birthplace and boyhood home of Roy Rogers, the Cowboys singer, who joked he was born somewhere between second base and center field. Pitch is in the dirt. It's two and one to Lofton. The artificial turf covering not only the normal grass area of the ballpark, but most of the, the normally dirt-covered portion of the infield. Only the pitcher's mound and the home plate area in two circled areas, and the cutouts around first, second, and third have dirt. And covered in five-sided diamond-shaped little areas. There is a strike. It's two and two as Riho flames in the fastball. Mentioned there's football played here, too. The Bengals and the Chargers in January of 82 played in the Freezer Bowl. Wind chill of minus 37 in that game. Here's the kick in the pitch. Swing hard hit, but right to second base. Plucked out of the air by Mariano Duncan. Run of one man is out here in the top of the first. Kenny Lofton hits it hard. But he's retired, and now the dangerous right-handed hitting Albert Bell. 51,700 the baseball seating capacity. 320 to the left field line, 325 to right. 370 and 375 to the power alleys. 404 to center, move back from 393. Green seats in the lower sections of the stadium, yellow up in the mezzanine suites, and red, of course, in the upper deck of the pitchers. Hammered in there for a strike to Bell, nothing in one. Boy, just an incredible year for this temperamental slugger. First major leaguer ever with a 50 double 50 home run season. And he hit 317 as well. Outfield deep and around the left. Here's the next one from Riho. Foul ball. It's nothing in two. That ball curling off to the third base seats and a fan in a denim jacket makes the catch. Hands it to his friend in the open-necked button-down sweater he's wearing over a white turtleneck. Bell, known as Joey until this very year, 1990. Takes the 0-2. It's in the dirt. One ball, two strikes to a really a model of consistency. Bell a 295 career hitter, averaging 37 home runs, 120 runs batted in in this decade. One of only six players in Major League history to have nine straight 100 RBI seasons. No score here in the first. Next one on the way. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Albert Bell takes a big cut. Riho's got his first strikeout. Two down and another dangerous right-hand masher. Here's Manny Ramirez, just 23 years old. Wears those uniform pants like pajamas. But although he's not exactly a buttoned-up, old-school kind of player, he did just hit 308 this year, 31 home runs. He eyeballs a strike from Riho right at the knees, nothing in one. Ramirez, a nine-time Silver Slugger, will play 19 big league seasons, but he'll be remembered more for his weird behavior than anything else. Manny being Manny, as they say, that phrase started here in 1995. Two out, nobody on. Outfield again very deep as the pitch comes in high from Riho. It's one and one. I guess among the more notable Manny moments, disappearing through the door at the Green Monster to use the bathroom, 
Intercepting the throw from Johnny Damon in the outfield. Selling his barbecue grill on eBay. High-fiving a fan after a catch at the outfield wall before he threw the ball back in to complete a double play. Here's the 1-1 on the way. Sharply hit ground ball to right to third. Sabo's got it. Little scissor step in the throw to Todd Benzinger in plenty of time. That's the inning. No runs, no hits, no errors, nobody left. The 1995 Indians failed to score. And since we're in 1995, we pause for this. They said it was a crazy idea. Why did we need another way to call collect? Yet now, instead of zero, millions of people are dialing 1-800-COLLECT to save on collect calls. Millions of people saving millions of dollars. Maybe it wasn't such a crazy idea after all. Anytime, any phone, anywhere. 1-800-COLLECT. It's the way we call collect today. All right, back to our century now. Let's talk coffee bean and tea leaf while we have a chance. Delicious, delicious, delicious. Since 1963, the coffee bean and tea leaf has been bringing you the finest coffees and teas from around the world. Responsibly sourced ingredients, handcrafted coffees and teas. The coffee bean and tea leaf an experience like no other. And for a limited time, you can try their new horchata cold brew coffee or world famous ice blended. Next time you're at LAX or San Diego Airport, Sky Harbor in Phoenix, Atlanta Hartsfield, make sure you spend a minute, stop on by Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. Bottom of the first, there is no score. Here come the 1990 Reds, Barry Larkin, 12-time All-Star, will go into the Hall of Fame in 2012. This year, a 301 batter, seven home runs, takes strike one on the outside corner, a breaking ball from Charles Nagy. Pitching for the 95 Indians, and in 95, Larkin's going to be NL MVP. Nagy in 95, 16-6, 4.05 ERA. Oral Hershiser in this rotation, Dennis Martinez, Mark Clark, and Chad O.J. to round it out. As the pitch is in for a strike knee high, 1-1. One one. Defensively, behind Chuck Nagy here, Bell in left, Lofton in center, Ramirez in right. Round the horn third to first, Tomey, Vizquel, Bayerga, and Sorrento. Pena the catcher. Larkin in and waiting, right-hand batter, University of Michigan product. Went there originally on a football scholarship. Cincinnati native, just like Pete Rose and Ken Griffey Jr. There's a strike, it's two and two. Clip the outside corner. Larkin, a contact hitter of the highest order. It's hard to believe he had to beat out Kurt Stilwell to get that starting shortstop job not too long ago. Here's a kick in the pitch. High fly ball, not deep, heading towards left field. Albert Bell is under it and kind of casually makes that catch. Here's one away. That brings up Mariano Duncan, 306 batter with 10 home runs. This guy's looking to swing. He once went 220 at-bats deep into a season without a single walk. Once had a stretch where he had 87 strikeouts in between walks. <laughs> so suffice to say, he's up there swinging. And sure enough, Fowles won straight back here. It's nothing in one. Pee Wee Reese once said, if I had to do it all over again, the one thing I'd do differently is swing more. Those 1,200 walks I got, nobody remembers them. Duncan wearing number seven on his back, six feet tall, 160 pounds, native Dominican. He takes again, it's a strike, it's nothing in two. 
A nice start from Charles Nagy, who will be a 14-year major leaguer, winning close to 130 games. University of Connecticut product, who's from the state of Connecticut. First round pick of these Indians back in 1988. That's the year Andy Bennis went first overall to the Padres. As the pitch comes in low, it's one and two. Three-time All-Star is Nagy, who's very soft-spoken. He's had some arm troubles, never has really had a fastball more than 92 miles an hour or so. Just seems he'd rather talk about anything else besides himself. He's just a punch-the-clock kind of guy. But he averages 200 innings a year. 14 wins on average in this decade, too. One-two pitch. Ground ball rolled towards first. Paul Sorrento is right there. He'll tiptoe to the bag, two down. Still no score in the first inning. Here's Eric Davis. Eric the Red, as he's known in these parts. Muscular, 6'2", 175 pounds. He's had a bad knee this year, but still a 260 batting average, 24 homers, 21 steals. L.A. native who plays with a bit of an edge. He was a great basketball player back at Fremont High School, inner city L.A. Here's the pitch, a strike. Carves up the outside corner, nothing in one. Davis, an all-star last year in 89. 101 runs batted in last year. It's been chipped down to 86 of them this year. Back-to-back -back seasons a couple years ago, he had one year with 80 steals, the other with 37 home runs. So truly a do-it-all kind of player. Swings here, fouls it off to the first base side. Nothing in two. Davis wearing that red number 44 on his back on that bright white uniform. Indians in their traveling grays with the dark blue trim, the dark blue hats. One of the great moments in 1990 is when Eric Davis homered off Dave Stewart, his first World Series at bat. Low moment came a few nights later, diving for a ball during game four of that World Series, a lacerated kidney that eventually required surgery. Rock on the rubber, here's the pitch. Swing and a miss, strike three. Eric Davis going for the downs, but he comes up empty. No runs, hits, or errors, nobody left. And after one, no score here at Riverfront Stadium. We turn for a little insight to those 1990 Cincinnati Reds. Joe Oliver spent a long time as a big league catcher. Florida native broke in with the Reds in 89. Eventually a Brewer, Tiger, Mariner, Pirate, Yankee, Red Sox. Now the manager for the Red Sox Double A team in Portland, Maine. We caught up with Joe Oliver, asked him about being part of this championship run at Riverfront in 1990 uh, just the brotherhood that we had and the, the relationships with uh, with each other thinking of you know norm charlton and rob dibble and and uh you know larkin and davis and billy hatcher and just you know just going on and on and the uh the 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 fun that it was going to the ballpark and excitement of what was going to happen that day did you guys know that you were headed for what you were headed for well, you know, we, we had a um, – Lou came in his first year, so honestly we didn't know where we headed after Pete had, uh, had uh, uh, been let go and, and, and suspended by, from baseball. So Lou came in with a fresh start and uh, came in and basically said, all the jobs are up for grabs, let's go get them. And uh, he didn't know anybody, you know, and 
basically he explained to us he hated losing and uh, it, it kind of reinforced to us we're in it together let's go uh, shock the world and, and start from day one when you guys won it what's the do you remember the conversation the very first conversation you had with Lou once it was in the bag and it was done <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's 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 really just the excitement of you know. You're, you, at first, you're you believed that you could do it, and then you're in disbelief that you did it, <laughs> just because you're you're celebrating. Uh, you're the only team that finished with the win at the end of the year, and uh, here you are. You're getting a, a world championship. You're getting a ring. You're getting uh, you know the, the notoriety of, of of being world champions. And Lou was excited. You know, I mean, he really was. And and you could just see the intensity that it, it, it fed the rest of the clubhouse. All right, many thanks to Joe Oliver. Great memories from a great guy. Always quick with a smile, and. Yes, I, I, I got to mention that the size 8 cap and batting helmets, just, just a huge head. Won't mention the name of the teammate who said this, but I thought it was funny. He posed the question, what would you rather have, a million dollars or Joe Oliver's batting helmet filled with nickels? <laughs> anyway, we move ahead to further action, as they say. The 90 Indians would break through in the bottom of the third off Nagy. Todd Benzinger leading off with a base hit to center. Oliver himself blasting a double in the left field corner. Benzinger around to score, made it one to nothing. Riho laying down a sack bunt. Barry Larkin then walked. And Mariano Duncan would cash in, drive in run number two before Eric Davis struck out for a second time. It was 2 nothing Cincinnati going to the top of the fourth. And that is where we can pick it up. Kenny Lofton leading off this inning, former basketball star at the University of Arizona. Wildcats made it to the Final Four in 1988, you might remember. Sean Elliott, Steve Kerr on that team. They lost to Mookie Blaylock in Oklahoma. As the pitch sails outside to Lofton, 1-0. Lofton's going to end up making 11 different appearances in the postseason. 0-1 through 0-7. Never more than one consecutive season with one team, but for now he's in a nice little run with the Indians. Nine and a half years with Cleveland. Six division titles in that time as he takes low in the dirt 2-0. Here in 1995, Kenny Lofton, one of six Indian starters with a 300 batting average or better. 13 triples to lead the majors, 54 steals leading the American League. As he takes inside this time, crowds left-hand batter, 3-0. Lofton had the big ALCS in 95 against the Mariners. Eighth inning of game six, infield bunt, stole second base, scored from second on a pass ball. Got by Dan Wilson. The Indians went on to win 4-0, but the run that demoralized the Mariners was the Kenny Lofton run. Next delivery on the way. That's low, ball four. Riho who sometimes can have a control issue, a four-pitch walk. And remember, the 54 steals for Lofton this year, so Riho will be paying him some mind as Albert Bell steps to the plate. Reds ahead 2-0, and boy, that number eight seems small on that broad back of Albert Bell. Not a guy who's going to give you a thoughtful interview, but man, he can cream a fastball. The pitch in there for a strike, nothing in one. Good tailing fastball from Riho. Albert Bell, actually a thoughtful, pretty intelligent guy. Does a mean crossword puzzle, but very much like his veteran teammate Eddie Murray. Just bristly with the media at best. 
Pitchers outside to him here, one and one. Bell's reputation probably cost him the MVP award here in 95. So he finished second to Mo Vaughn, even though the numbers overall for Bell were much better than Mo. Pitch on the way, it's low. Blocked nicely, it's two balls, one strike to Bell. And he's in the middle of a three-year streak where he's going to finish third, second, and third for MVP. 2-1 pitch, that's high. Three and one the count. With one on, nobody out. There was that profane outburst in the dugout during the 95 World Series. Hannah Storm of NBC caught the brunt of that. And Bell was unrepentant afterwards. He said, the Indians wanted me to issue a statement of regret when the fine was announced. I told them to take it out. I apologize for nothing. <laughs> Here's a pitch. That's low for ball four. Two on, nobody out. And what a chance for Manny Ramirez, the go-ahead man. 31 home runs this year. And another tough guy to get a read on. Sports Illustrated once wrote him up as being tougher to read than Sanskrit. And Ramirez insists it's not that he's moody. It's actually he's just very shy. And he takes outside here 1-0. The lapses of concentration are legendary for Manny Ramirez. Against the Tigers a couple years ago, Cleveland down 11 runs. Manny took off from second, or a two-second base from first. He slid in safely. Ball got away from Raul Casanova, the catcher. Ramirez looked up, assumed the ball had been fouled, so he started trotting back to first. He was tagged out, down 13-2. Taking outside here again, 2-0. His high school coach back in New York says Manny was always, as long as he knew him, a really good kid, just couldn't sit still, couldn't remember to show up sometimes. Of the four team pictures taken of his high school team, Ramirez is in one of them. The other three years, he just forgot to show up. Pitch to him, swung on, fouled. Back to the net, two and one the count. With two on, nobody out. There was one time during a road trip to Texas, Manny left behind a pair of boots with his paycheck stuffed inside one of them. He once sent a clubhouse attendant to get his car washed during batting practice, told him there should be enough money in the glove compartment. There was. There was $10,000 cash. <laughs> Pitches high, three and one. Then there's the motorcycle story. He and uh, Julian Tavares asked a sports writer one day to, to loan them each $60,000. They wanted to buy motorcycles. Sports writers kind of don't make that much in a year. Here's the pitch. Swung on, base hit center field. Kenny Lofton coming around. He's going to score. Albert Bell holds it second. Cleveland's on the board now. It's 2-1. to one. Manny Ramirez picking out a fastball and just walloped it into center field. So now still 2-1. Here's Jim Tomey. The big lefty, a 314 batter, 25 home runs. He's only 24 years old. And I would suggest the phrase, he doesn't get cheated, was invented with Jim Tomey in mind. He was very often all or nothing. Taking outside here, it's 1-0. We should mention John Hart, the Indians GM, deserves so much credit for keeping this team together. Signed a whole bunch of these young players to long-term deals way before he had to, but the point was to keep the gang together. Pitch poured in for a strike now, it's 1-1. One one. Gotta love Jim Tomey. Story goes that when Tomey was 8, 
He marched into the kitchen of their downstate Illinois home. He announced, Mom, I am never going to work. I'm going to play big league baseball. Good call. And he takes high. It's two and one. You know, it's not too long ago, the Indians were kind of ready to give up on Jim Tomey. He was idling at AAA, but Charlie Manuel interceded on his behalf. Manuel then the minor league manager for Jim Tomey. And at the Indians organizational meetings, Manuel stood up and said, I promise this guy's going to hit 40 home runs, drive in 100 someday. Let me take him to AAA again. We'll, we'll, we'll start him up. We'll get him going. Tomey styling out there with those stirrups pulled up like later hose, and he takes inside this time three and one. Two one ball game, couple men on. Tomey out of Limestone, Illinois. Growing up in nearby Peoria, Illinois, would watch the minor league Peoria Chiefs, who back then were a Chicago Cubs affiliate. Tomey's family used to get him up to Wrigley on occasion so he could watch his hero, Dave Kingman. Here's the wind, here's the pitch. Swing, high drive towards left center. That ball towards the gap. It is up against the wall. Bouncing down on the warning track. Bell is in. Here comes Manny Ramirez. Here comes the relay throw. It's not in time. Cleveland takes the lead. It's 3-2. to two. And hitting that ball the other way, that is something Tommy does a lot. Talked about the work that Tommy Emanuel, Charlie Manuel, put in together. And as they have worked on that stance together for years, worked on the swing together for years, there is power everywhere now from Jim Tomey. Out of a stance that kind of reminds you of the late Yankee Thurman Munson. Very similar look, but he just generates so much more power. He's at second base right now, 3-2 Indians. And here's Paul Sorrento, 0 for 1 in this one, former twin future Mariner and Devil Ray taking low, it's 1-0. 25 home runs for Sorrento this year. New England native. Played his college ball at Florida State. Lefty wearing number 11 on his back. Future hitting coach. And the pitch to him. High fly ball chipped the other way towards left. Tommy will just hang out at second base. Billy Hatcher under it puts it away. So finally you've got one out in the inning. 3-2 ball game. And Carlos Baerga stepping in. Switch hitter hitting 314. He's had some killer years in terms of fantasy league stats. A lot of homers, a lot of steals. Never did finish higher than 10th in MVP voting, surprisingly. Only a three-time All-Star. Future Met and Padre, among others, taking low for a ball, 1-0. You want the last Indians MVP? You gotta go back to Al Rosen in 1953. Baerga originally Padre's property. Native Puerto Rican was part of the big Joe Carter trade when he was still a minor leaguer. Here's the pitch. It's in for a strike. Bell tie. It's one and one. And we talk about Cleveland with quite a, an inferiority complex. I mean, here it is in, in 1995. They're 41 years without a major championship in any sport. We're not counting the indoor soccer league championship. Here's a pitch coming in. It's low two and one. Of course, the Indians are the stars of the movie Major League, which in Germany is called Die Indianer von Cleveland. That is true. 
That movie actually shot in Milwaukee and then Baltimore. So there's some more indignity for Cleveland. Even a movie about forlorn Cleveland isn't shot in Cleveland. Here's the pitch, taken for a strike, two and two. Three runs in, one man on, just one out. Tony Pena's on deck. Riho ready, here's the pitch. Swing and a fly ball. Pretty well hit right center field. That ball gets down. It bounces up against the wall. Here comes Jim Tomey. He will score. It is a 4-2 lead. Eric Davis played the ball in. He and Paul O'Neill were chasing it up the alley. Joe Torre has said of these Indians here in 1995, they don't just beat you. They put you in the trunk and drive you away somewhere. That's pretty much how it goes. Double from Tommy, double from Bayerga. Here's Tony Pena now in a 4-2 game. 38-year-old catcher hit 262 this year. He and Sandy Alomar Jr. splitting time behind the plate. Veteran performer wears 17 in Cleveland. He was known in Pittsburgh for a while as number six. He wore six in Boston a couple years ago, too, over in the AL East. As the pitch skips in, low for a ball, 1-0. Talking about American League divisions, it's funny. Just last year, 1994, the Indians were actually given the choice. You guys want to be in the, the newly formed AL Central or you want the AL East? The marketing people said East. Keep the Yankees rivalry, more appropriate start times on the road for TV purposes. The baseball people said, let's go Central, figuring by default they could win the division every year. You've got a strong Yankees team, strong Orioles team, Red Sox over there in the East, and the, the baseball people won out. So far, they've been right. President Dick Jacobs cast that deciding vote. Here's a strike right down the middle, one and one. Yeah, 1954, the Indians' last World Series appearance until here in 1995. Won 111 games in 54, but they were swept by the New York Giants. Here's the kick, here's the pitch. Line drive, base hit, center field. Bayerga cuts it around third. He's being waved in by the third base coach, Jeff Newman. He will score ahead of the throw from Eric Davis. It is 5-2. to two. Boy, they are pounding Jose Rijo here. This is not the 1990 World Series whatsoever. All right, let's do the move ahead to further action. Vizquel lines to second. Nagy strikes out. 5-2 Cleveland as we go to the bottom of the fourth inning. And that's the next time there would be any scoring. Paul O'Neill doubling in Chris Sabo, who had walked. That made it a 5-3 game at that point. And let's see. Checking what happens in the top of the fifth. That's the next scoring. After Lofton strikes out, Bell and Ramirez back-to-back -back walks against Riho. Sorrento strikes out looking, but then back-to-back -back walks again by Erga and Pena. Pena actually knocking in a run. So two back-to-back -back walks in that inning. Two different stretches of that, and Riho did get Vizquel to ground out, but that was it for him. Five innings of work. He walked five, allowed seven runs. 7-3 seven, ball game going to the bottom of the fifth inning. And the Reds would rally a bit. Larkin a leadoff infield single, would steal second. Duncan singled him home. This after, there was a, a pinch-hitting appearance by Bill Duran. He got on to set all that up, and Eric Davis sack fly. So two runs total in that inning, and a score at that point. Just make sure I got it right here. Yeah, 7-5 of five 
is our tally at the end of five. One run added in the top of the seventh inning by Erga blasting a home run. That came off Norm Charlton. Rob Dibble had pitched in the sixth inning, by the way. Charlton ended up on the mound after that. So at the seventh inning stretch, with Shotzi to St. Bernard getting a little bit uncomfortable, eight to five, the Indians had the lead. Bottom of the eighth, the Reds would come back. And of all things, an Omar Vizquel throwing error would open the door. That allowed Davis to reach. Chris Sabo flied out, but then O'Neill a base hit to right. Billy Hatcher base hit to left to score a run. Todd Benzinger singled home a run. And all of a sudden, you had an 8-7 to seven game. The rally would end there, though. Joe Oliver, deep fly out to left center. 8-7 in the top of the ninth, no scoring. So... We go to the bottom of the ninth inning. This one looking pretty good, right at 8-7. to seven. In the bottom of the ninth, Jose Mesa on the pitch. And Hal Morris will be announced as a pinch hitter, the lefty. Mesa, two-time Major League All-Star, Roll Aids Relief Man Award winner in 95, led the AL in saves. Joe Table, they call him, right? The literal translation of his name in the English language from Jose Mesa is Joe Table. And here we go, in the bottom of the ninth. Hal Morris, like Barry Larkin, a Michigan man. Larkin now on deck, top of the order. Those guys somehow adopted and loved here in enemy territory in Ohio. Jose Mesa trying for a little hang-on sloopy himself here in the bottom of the ninth inning. His team up 8-7. And he sizzles in a strike to the lefty Morris right away, nothing in one. Yeah, Morris pinch hitting for the pitcher. 340 batting average this year. In 309 at-bats. Lou Pinella loves that whole platoon thing, so he doesn't uh, see many at-bats against lefties at all. It was Hal Morris. He came in along with Billy Hatcher this past winter to shore up the offense. Pitch here is high. It's 1-1. One and one. Mesa with a 1.12 ERA. But a one-run lead on the road in a National League ballpark, that will not go well in 97. Game 7 of the World Series in Miami. Here in Cincinnati now, here's a pitch on the way. Swing a little roller toward short. Tough play for Vince Kelly. Bobbles it once, twice. Cannot get the throw away. The tying man is on. That could be errors in back-to-back -back innings for Omar Vizquel. How unusual is that? And an interesting dynamic because years from now, Jose Mesa, We'll start feuding with Vizquel after Vizquel's autobiography comes out. Vizquel very critical of Mesa's performance in Game 7 of that 97 World Series that we just mentioned. Mesa reacted very furiously. He pledged to hit Vizquel every subsequent opportunity. He said, even my little boy told me to go get him. If I face him 10 more times in my career, I'll hit him 10 times. I want to kill him. Well, and... By the end of the 07 season, Mesa actually did hit Vizquel on three separate occasions. But for now, hey, we're in 1995. It's all business. Herm Winningham pinch runs at first. He is the tying man. And here is the winning run for Cincinnati in his own hometown. Here's Barry Larkin. One for three with a walk. 3.08 batter this regular season. Mesa setting. Looks at Winningham at first, now deals. Strike called, nothing in one. Of course, Omar Vizquel does not make many errors. Incredibly, in his Indians debut coming over from Seattle, he made three in one game early on in April. But usually he makes not even 10 in a whole year, playing amazing athletic, if not acrobatic defense 
at the game's most demanding position. Larkin the batter, a shortstop as well. Steady, consistent, fan favorite here. Knees inverted just a bit in his stance. Here's a pitch. Sharply hit ground ball right to third. Tommy's got it. Whips to Vierga for one. On to Sorrento. Double play. Oh, we talked earlier about what a contact hitter Barry Larkin is. That was sharp contact there. But on this baked AstroTurf, this hard turf in Cincinnati, one skip right to Tommy's glove. They turn the double play. Base is clear now, two out. It's up to Mariano Duncan. One for four with a couple RBIs in this game. When this 1990 Reds team that went wire to wire, Randy Myers getting the final out on a pop out and a foul ground in Oakland to secure all that. They're down to their final out here. Duncan trying to get something restarted. Eight, seven ball game. And the pitch. Line drive right at second base. Ball game's over. Mariano Duncan, a second baseman himself, bangs it right to Bayerga. And that home run that Bayerga hit not too long ago, that ends up being the difference. An 8-7 final. Check the final line score for you for the victorious 95 Indians. Eight runs, seven hits, two errors. The 90 Reds, seven runs, nine hits, and no errors. The winning pitcher, it is Charles Nagy. Went just enough. He went five innings, giving up five runs, but he struck out seven. Riho allowing those seven runs, five walks in the process. He absorbs the loss. So it's an 11 seed knocking off a six seed. The 95 Indians advance to play the 89 World Series champion Oakland A's several weeks down the road. Hey, they just beat the team that beat the 1990 Oakland A's, so maybe that sets up okay. Next week, game 11 of the tournament already. We're looking at one of those fun 8-9 matchups that could obviously tilt either way. It'll be the 74 LA Dodgers, a team that won it all that fall, taking on the 87 Minnesota Twins. Don Sutton and Burt Blylevin head-to-head on the mound. This one's scheduled for the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome in Minneapolis. Well, if you listened all the way through, hopefully you've also gone ahead and subscribed to the podcast so they hit your inbox every Monday morning. Got a new episode every Monday indeed. Leave us a nice review if you don't mind on iTunes. Appreciate that. Check us out on Twitter, at the Throwback League, actually LG instead of the full spelling of league. TheThrowbackLeague.com, full spelling. That is the website, and the box scores and the brackets are available there. Josh Lewin with you. Thanks again for listening. Congratulations to the 95 Indians who have defeated the 90 Reds by the final of 8-7. to seven. Bye-bye.